the What The Fab podcast, where empowered women empower women through candid conversations, inspiring stories, and tangible tips. I'm your host, Elise Armitage. I'm a digital creator, and I left my nine-to-five job at Google to chase my dreams of being an entrepreneur. I'm so happy to have you here. Let's get into some real talk. Hello and welcome back to the What The Fab podcast. We're on episode 46 and we're doing an interview today. I am speaking with Jane Finette. She is fabulous. She is a feminist and an activist and she's doing incredible work to help lift women up and move towards gender equity, although we do talk about that in this episode and why she is sick of talking about gender equity and basically we need to burn it all to the ground. We also were recording on the same day that it was leaked that SCOTUS was moving to vote to strike down Roe v. Wade. So we were definitely in, it was it was interesting timing. I felt, I'm sure like a lot of you, I have been feeling really frustrated and angry. It's a move that not only oppresses women, but like intentionally oppresses and keeps down women of color. And so it was It was just an interesting headspace to be in as we recorded this episode all about lifting women up and her advice and tips for that. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. If you have not subscribed to the What the Fab podcast yet, I would love it if you could do that. You can hit subscribe through whatever platform it is you're listening on, and then these episodes will get teed up for you weekly. And while you're at it, if you haven't taken a second to rate and review the podcast, please go ahead and do that. I love hearing your guys' feedback and suggestions for future episodes, interviews, guests, and so forth. So let's go ahead and dive on in. Jane Finette is the founder and executive director of The Coaching Fellowship, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the development of young women leaders in social and environmental change. Jane's passion, expertise, and three decades of experience are anchored at the intersection of technology and human potential. At her core, she empowers individuals and communities to solve the world's largest, most persistent problems. Jane is the author of the new book, Unlocked, How Empowered Women Empower Women. I just finished reading it this weekend, and I am feeling super inspired. And so with that, let's welcome Jane to the What the Fab podcast. Jane, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to chat with you. Oh, Elise, thank you. It's my great pleasure. I'm so jazzed to talk with you too. Thanks for this great opportunity to be in conversation together. Oh, amazing. Well, you and I were just chatting um, off air a little bit about how we both have backgrounds in tech and you worked at, you were at Mozilla and I was at Google and um, kind of, I got to to rub shoulders with some of the women that you mentioned in your book, like Obi Felton, when um, we had her speak at one of our International Women's Day series. So it was just kind of fun as I was reading it to you know, learn about some new women with incredible stories and to see some women whose names I recognized as, you know, just other badass females in tech. And 
um, you have a very interesting background as well. And so I was wondering if you could just, to tee us up, share a little bit with our listeners about your background. You have an interesting story from racing cars to owning an art gallery in Berlin, moving into big tech, and then now your role as a female activist. Um, So yes, would love to hear a bit more about your story and, and what brought you to where you are now. Thank you. Oh, gosh, thank you so much for asking me. And uh, it's always so funny, isn't it? When someone asks you to tell your story, you're like, oh, God, no, how am I going to do all this? And yet when someone else shares their story, you're like, oh, no, tell me more. And I never know really where to start, Elise. I feel like, gosh, you know, the older I get, I'm like, goodness me, where should I begin this? Um, and um, I often say, you know, I think I, I look like I'm six different people on my, uh, when you look at my resume, I look like there's definitely some personality kind of disorder going on here. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I started my career in fine art. I uh, was a junior expert at Sotheby's, the fine art auctioneers and Bond Street in London. I'm British. If you haven't gathered that from my accent yet, it does waver a little bit. Um, and then I uh, went from there and owned an art gallery in Berlin. I used to bring young British artists to um, to Berlin, to Germany and throughout Europe at that time. Um, but also, this was at the time when the internet was taking off. I am that old. <laughs> and um, no one could escape being, uh, uh, you know, excited by what was happening, real revolution. I was part of the UK's really big first internet success story called jungle.com. I was the sixth person to join, which was kind of like a predecessor to Amazon. It's all computer equipment, gaming, and uh, DVDs, CDs. Look at us talking about things that sound like relics. But um, it really got me um, involved in technology. And then I went on to run software companies. I was at eBay a long time. And the job of my life was uh, being able to – I was relocated by Mozilla to the Bay Area in uh, 2009 started working for them in 2007 and I used to run all of global user engagement for Firefox so uh, working on uh, retention for the half a billion user base at the time so we always say it was kind of that was like the job of my life at least I don't think I'll ever have a job quite that big Um, though that being said now the work that I've been doing the last 10 years in working with young women social environmental change leaders through the nonprofit that I founded, the Coaching Fellowship, Women's Impact Alliance, um, is 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 my calling. It's what I'm here to do, and the book was a was a big piece of that as well, and uh, a call to arms for all of us as as women to help help one another rise and thrive. Because man, times are tough right now. They have been for women for since millennia, but man, they don't seem to get much better at the moment. Yes, yes. And we are going to dig into that because I have I have your book and I have it dog eared and highlighted and lots oh, no. of just like <laughs> stats and call outs and suggestions. But um I, I just really appreciate a lot of your insights in there. And before we dive into some of those questions, was there a particular moment or several moments in your life that kind of like you feel like pulled you along to where you are now in, in this kind of feminist activist role? Are there any kind of stories that you can think of to share that you feel like guided you in that direction? You know, I, I mean, there are many. Um, <clears throat> there, um, I mean, I think firstly, uh, when I actually, when I moved to the US from the UK, 
And uh, I've told this story before. It's, it's not a secret. Um, the job that I was hired to do when I uh, moved countries, I moved my whole life, my husband and my dog, you know, and we all moved. And then I landed and the job didn't exist. Um, my boss left and then they were like, oh, we don't know what to do with Jane anymore. <laughs> what are we going to do with her? And it was, uh, and I didn't have a role and I was, I was all at sea and it, and the culture is very different to being in the UK. And I was, I had worked from home for two years. Now everyone works from home, but this was back in 2007 and, um, you know, I'm pretty forthright. Um, but when uh, there I was in a heavily engineering centric organization, very few women, um, and then now in an office environment, um, and then I didn't have a job and I sort of lost my voice. Um, and for the longest time, I thought, um, gosh, I am just shy. I, it's all my fault. I, you know, and so on. And I realize now that, um, yeah, some of it was circumstantial, of course, but, um, uh, a lot of it also was, uh, the fact that I was, I was a woman and I wasn't being taken seriously. And people would say to me, Oh, like what happened to you? Like, who, <laughs> who are you? And, but I was being shut down. I wasn't invited to meetings. I, it was, it was a whole different world to work for a tech company. And I honestly believe that they were no one ever did that with malice. They really didn't. This was unconscious bias, which of course we're we now are much mm -hmm. more aware of. Um, but it was uh, one woman who came in as a, a temp. Uh, she was a temporary CMO, and she was really the first woman who was was an ally to me, who was more senior than I was. And I'd gone all of those years in my career, and I'd never had a female ally. Uh, who was looking out for me and who smoothed that path for me to find find my place and um, you know that uh, I, I just I share that because you know I, I think for the longest time I didn't I was kind of naive I write about it in the book that um, I you know sort of like a frog in as they say you know in the in hot in um, warm water if you slowly turn the heat up you have no idea the water's cooking, you know. Um, and I, I really think that it was like that for me and for many women, where it's so uh, the bias is so pervasive that you, you don't actually even know it's happening, you know. And it took for me to move countries and so on for me to see, and then it, it all came flooding out. You know, I could see what happened to me before in my career with a different lens. Um, so that was a really big moment for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story. I think it ties in with a lot of the tangible tips and advice that you share um, throughout your book. And like I mentioned, I just finished reading it over the weekend. And I, I appreciate that there was such a great combination of inspiring stories and actionable bite-sized tips that made it feel like, okay, like this is something that I can do. Like this is something that can have a real impact. And before we dive into kind of the the how and some of those key tips that you share, I wanted to take a step back and you share, you tee it up really nicely in your book about how, aside from gender equality just being right, like morally right, there are so <laughs> many <Yes>. benefits <laughs> to empowering women that just make sense and like like literal dollars and cents too. So could you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'd love to, because, yeah, I'm like banging my head against the wall, Elise, and I'm sure many of your listeners will be doing the same because, wow, it just makes great sense. Like I, I write in the book, you know, 
uh, like, um, there is no silver bullet for like, you know, the global grand challenges that we, you know, the world is enduring right now, but empowering women and girls comes pretty damn close <laughs> because um, I take, for example, as uh, so a women in the developing world uh, will give back more than 90% of their resources back into their families and their communities in the world. So whether that was their hard earned dollars, the knowledge that they've uh, that they've learned, um, the resources, you know, whether that's food or you know anything that they have, they will pull that back into their communities. Same study for men is between thirty and forty percent. So we know, and and this is you know, I don't think this is really any different for women elsewhere in the world. But when you invest in one woman, you're not just investing in her because she will be giving back more into her family and her community and world at large. As said, um, but yeah. So when there are more women at the negotiating table, we'll see longer lasting peace. Uh, when you give women access to land and agricultural tools, um, um, USAID AID says um, that we'd actually uh, reduce food poverty by 5 million. 5 million people wouldn't go hungry if women were given access to the land to till and agriculture. Um, we know literacy rates go up, uh, child mortality rates go down when women empowered. Um, and yet to your point when you said about, you know, money and, and so on, like, yeah, $25 trillion would be added to global GDP if women and girls were empowered. And the Rainforest Alliance says that women are most likely key to um, to solving the climate crisis. So, yeah, there there is no silver bullet, but doing you know doing those things to empower women and girls um yeah we've got a lot of amazingly awesome things ahead of us if we do that okay you know i am all about time saving hacks and i have to tell you guys about my latest discovery sunbasket meal delivery service I've been using them for months now, and they are hands down the best meal delivery I have ever tried, and I have tried a lot. <laughs> Their meals are ready to go. You can just microwave them or pop them in the oven. I don't know about you, but if I'm paying for a meal delivery, I'm not trying to get a kit that also requires me to spend time having to cook the meal and chop stuff like some other services. No, thank you. So it's delivered weekly. If you want, you can always skip. It's ready to go. All of their ingredients are organic, and seriously, the meals have been so delicious. I just had this insane chili verde enchilada pie with braised pork last night. Oh my God, I'm drooling just thinking about it. And each week you get to pick your menu and I order six. So that's meals for both me and Omid three nights out of the week. And I usually opt for meals that are under 600 calories. And like I said, everything has been so good. And there's a new menu to choose from every week. We haven't had a repeat menu item yet. And I have a great discount link for you to give them a try. You'll get $90 off your first few deliveries, bringing each meal to six bucks a meal. This is a no-brainer, you guys. So just go to whatthefab.com slash sunbasket and use my referral link there. I mean, you're gonna pay that much at least for groceries, but with Sunbasket, you don't even have to cook, so you might as well be efficient about it. Make weeknight dinners a delicious breeze with Sunbasket. Go to whatthefab.com slash sunbasket to get $90 off. Yeah, I, I had definitely heard those stats, some of those stats before, but to, to see it in black and white, like one after the other, like GDP increases, literacy decreases, like dot, 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 every, it was just like, 
we should be running the world. Like why, like, why is this not, why, why are things not different? It's no, it's, it's true. And it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe when the evidence is so clear, whether you're looking at business performance or you're looking at, you know, these health indicators that we're just discussing um, at the amount of more money that you could make. I'm just like, gosh, if you're just a capitalist, you know, just here to make money, you're going to make more money. So why are you not invested in your women entrepreneurs, women-led businesses and so on? And yet only 2% of venture capital goes to women-led business, women-led startups. It's, it's bonkers to me. And it can only be unconscious bias or, you know, in some cases really deliberate action taking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I really believe that has to be why, because we all, we all know these statistics now, but we're still not making a change. Yeah, yeah. It was really interesting to me because I'm I'm like, well, we are a capitalist society. Like if it's one thing that people understand, it's money. Um, and that's what drives a lot of decision making and, you know, power hungry moves. Yeah. But then we're also a patriarchal society. And so that's obviously, you know, when there's this kind of like, well, you could make more money by investing in more women. Okay, but it's women. It's just like, it was just very interesting to see <laughs> that kind of spelled out in black and white with the data. So in, in one of the early chapters, you dive into the importance of having a network and your kind of realization that especially as you advanced in your career, like the men around you, your husband, they tended to have richer and more robust networks. And that is beneficial in so many ways. So could you speak more to the importance of that? And then also what we can do to grow our own networks as well as help other women grow theirs? Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you for mentioning that that part is, um, I haven't talked about it for a while. And I, uh, it's for me, it's, it's a really big thing, you know, and um, so when you say network to women, and I, I always speak for myself, uh, but I know it to be true. So we've had so many conversations. So when you say networking, we run for the hills, we'll just want to be physically sick, right? I mean, that's just, oh, it's the worst thing in the world. Imagine going to a networking event. Oh, my God, it's like I'd rather do laundry. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, and yet women are brilliant at building relationships. Uh, and one of the first things I, I, I say to women who are just like, whoa, I don't like networking, and they think of building your community, Right, build a community. You are amazing at building community. So, first of all, I think there's a little, you know, there's a perspective shift that that we could make, which would make it much more appealing because it feels yucky, it feels transactional. Um, it, there's lots of evidence around that, um, uh, you know, women it can make you feel a bit dirty. Sorry to be, you know, explicit there, but it's it's a very weird, yucky feeling. Uh, and some of that can be driven by, uh, particularly when you're younger in your career, you feel like you haven't got something to offer. So there's a weird kind of power dynamic. So um, so you would rather not network because when you meet someone new, maybe you're not as important as them or as higher level in your career and somehow there's some imbalance. And so we just, or we might not be able to help them make an other intro or something. So we just don't do it. Um 
And uh, what I, I interviewed him, Hermione Ibarra, uh, in the book, her whole career has been focused on researching women and networks. She started this in the late 80s. And what she found was that men build networks which are internally and externally at corporations, organizations. Women will be very focused internally. So, uh, but what happens is, of course, when they when the woman leaves their job, they don't get to take a network with them. They take some of those people, but they're because they're not focused on those weak ties. Um, there aren't so many opportunities. There aren't so many um, even job offers. Uh, LinkedIn. Uh, this was, I think, it's almost two years ago. This study said that. Um, uh, something like 85 percent 85 percent questioning myself now uh, of jobs are found through network <clears throat> and I you know I had to kind of self-reflect and thought wow yeah when was the last time I actually did a job interview that wasn't introduced to me by someone else uh, who was in my network um, we know that you're going to the size of your network um, affects your salary and your um, uh, potential to get promoted or to earn a higher salary is directly correlated to the size of your network. It just really matters. Um, so my advice, uh, so first of all, yeah, let's reframe. <laughs> let's talk about building community. Um, and then uh, this is actually one of the things we can do for each other as women is to make introductions for each other and hold ourselves accountable. Even if you meet one person, one new person a week for the whole year, that's 50 new people. Like, wow, 50 people. Like, that's a lot, actually, right, for a 30-minute Zoom call. But how can you make a start? Asking, ask the people that you work with, hey, like, I want, I'm interested in bringing more people into my community and to learn more, to be curious. That doesn't necessarily have to be a purpose. And believe me, we're all hungry, right, to communicate and to connect with new people. It's great to have a half an hour coffee break, uh, even if it's on Zoom. Um, and then ask that person when you've met with them, um, who else do you think I should meet? You know, who else would be great for me to speak with? And let them introduce you. Um, and you do the same for them, you know. Um, but it, this is, it is critically important. And the younger you start, the more important, you know, it is because it will build over time. I mean, I've worked with people who, uh, you know, particularly eBay. I was at a very special time at eBay in the UK. And almost all of those people have now gone on to be the CEO and the vice president. I mean, unbelievable, my network. But I worked with them 25 years ago when I was 23, you know. I mean, it was oh, 25, you know. Um, so you do, it will build over time and nobody knows where where you'll be, you know, in another 20 years. I love that. I love the reframing of it, first of all. So because you're right, I mean, as soon as I flipped open to that chapter and it was about your network, I was like, what popped into my head was like at a conference, like trying to talk to people, somebody looking over my shoulder for the next person to network with and that like dirty feeling. But when you reframe it as your community and and I love the suggestion of, you know, asking people who are already within your network, you know, for introductions and then doing the same for other women, it makes it so much less intimidating and, and fun. And like you say, it just continues to build. It's like compound interest of like your, your network that continues yeah. to, to grow um, as both the individuals within your community um, and you continue to. So I love that. 
I would love to, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, you know, I think it's, um, um, as managers as well in the workplace, I think it's, you know, we can get a little bit scared of our people networking. (laughs) You're like, Oh my God, they're going to get another job. You know, why are they networking? And, um, and really, I think we also have to ask ourselves, is that really true when, you know, as leaders and managers too? And I'd much rather consider, gosh, they're having a, an enlightening conversation about some new technology or something that they're going to learn and bring back into the organization. Isn't that fabulous? But we, um, we also don't want women to do it outside of work. You know, yes, to, if they have time and they have interest, great. Um, but we know we have a whole bunch of other things to do when we get home as well. Um, so uh, I really do think you need to take the time in your workday. This is part of your job. So that's the the other thing. This is not an addition. This is part of your job to grow your network. So you do it in work time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, make it a priority. Yeah, I love that. I would love to chat about some of the biggest obstacles to empowering women. So for me, there are a couple of things that come to mind. First is like the diversity and hiring numbers at, you know, big tech corporations. Um, It was really interesting reading about Tracy Chow's story because I actually didn't know a whole lot about... I knew from working at Google that we published our diversity numbers. I didn't really know why and that there was, you know, one person that called for this. And now all of these large tech companies are doing it, which is really cool to see. Um, But, you know, the, the stats are still pretty bleak. Like in 2014... Google's diversity numbers, the company was, let me see, I wrote this down, 61% white, 69% male in 2019. So four years later, it was 54% white, 68% male. And like, you know, Mm. we've worked behind the scenes. We've seen behind the scenes what's being done at these large tech companies. I know at Google, I was, my role was branding and events for talent recruitment. So I sat within HR or people ops um, and I saw like entire teams dedicated to recruiting talent from underrepresented communities, partnering with HBCUs, working with organizations like Girls Who Code and like seeing that all the way from like the individual contributors up to, you know, senior level executives, SVPs. So I see the work and the effort, but to see these numbers barely budging is is pretty disheartening. So what are your thoughts on that? And how do you keep a positive outlook? Because I know you also shared in the book that you believe that when women take progress into their own hands, we can reach global gender equity within this generation. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, thank you. No, it's um, <clears throat> uh, the report card is must try harder, right? Or it's just not good enough. Um, and uh you know, my book's been out for a few months and I, I, I spend some time talking about it. And um, I actually haven't said this out loud terribly often. And I thank you for asking me this, this question because I, I feel like it's relevant, but it's also very pointy. Uh, what I want to say is that I've, I've been preaching about gender equity for I can't tell you how long. And quite frankly, I, I'm over it. And like, I, I actually don't agree with gender equity anymore. We have to move beyond equity because this we are we are working and living in a system which is not designed to ever create equality for women, for underrepresented groups, for people of color. Like 
this, so we need, like, this is so hard because we need to, and I know I'm going to sound like a crazy idealist, right? You know, but we will, we need to reinvent every single system. Like this system does not work for us. So while we are trying so hard to reach, you know, equal pay for equal work, or we're trying to bring more people of color into, into technology roles, it's the system is not designed to ever make that happen and for it to be completely equal, we need to redesign the system. And I don't know how to do that. I'm sorry. Like, it's easy for me to (laughs) just chuck that out, right? Um, But I do believe that um, the more that we can empower one another as uh, as women and as uh, underrepresented groups, like, change only ever happens one person at a time. And that when we, you know, the, the, the tech companies... I don't know if they're doing the right things. And this is maybe a, this is a side conversation. But when women build technology companies, they do it differently, right? So um, maybe there's a whole bunch of uh, men and women who actually don't want to work at these orgs because they actually have a different vision of what the technology purpose would be for and so on. So the more that we can um, encourage uh, uh our uh, minorities and women to do it their way uh to build to you know be funded by other women and people of color etc you know like this is a different way is it hard absolutely will it take a long time (laughs) yeah but i don't see any other way forward and i I don't think i'm necessarily answering your question directly but you know it's um we have to move beyond equity it's uh, because we'll build that system differently, which includes everybody. This is not just for women. Then it's you know, we will build a system which looks different. I wholeheartedly believe it. You guys, I just discovered Newly and had to tell you about it. It's a fashion rental subscription service, so it's basically like Netflix for clothes. I also have a ten dollar off discount for you, so I'll let you know how to get that in just a sec. So here's how it works: you pick out six pieces of clothing that get shipped right to your home. You wear them for as long as you want. And then when you're done, you send them back in the same packaging it arrived in. There's a return label in there and everything. Super easy. And they have such cute pieces from brands like Anthropology, Ralph Lauren, Badgley Mishka, Free People, just to name a few. And if you fall in love with a piece and you decide you want to keep it, you can buy it at a super discounted rate. Like I'm seeing anywhere from 15 to 70% off the retail price for the pieces that I have at home right now. You also don't have to worry about washing anything or even if you accidentally damage it, you know, you spill some coffee or pop a sequin or two off, Newly will take care of it and you won't be charged. Personally, I am feeling a little bit uninspired with my closet and my clothes right now after the pandemic. So Newly has just been a great, affordable, sustainable option for me to have a bunch of new outfits every month and just get excited about dressing up again. You can pause or cancel Newly at any time. And I also have a referral link for you to get $10 off your first month. Just go to whatthefab.com slash Newly and Newly is spelled N as in Nancy, U-U-L-Y. Enjoy and let's get back to the episode. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that and kind of different thoughts and and reflections. And just today, you know, this episode will come out later, but today my news feed is being flooded with the news that SCOTUS has um, moved to vote on striking down Roe v. Wade. And I mean, speaking of systems of oppression and systems that Mm -hmm. are not designed to 
you know, let alone for women to win, but even for equity, um, that was pretty shocking for me to see and upsetting. And and you do touch on in your book um, a lot of conversations around the data and the correlation between women having the ability to decide when, if and when they want to start a family and how that affects their career trajectory, as well as really clear-cut data that women that did choose to have children, um, that it it did affect their what they their gen their revenue generating activities, their ability yeah. to uh, make as much as their partners. Yeah. yeah. It, um <laughs> It's all sadly true. And yet uh, there's a fabulous organization called Hey Mama. And they're, a, uh, they're a, uh, the largest uh, um, professional network of working mothers. And, uh, well, and I have to tell you, I am not a mom. I've got many four-legged things, but I am, I'm not a mom. Uh, but when I, um, I spent some time interviewing uh, the organization and working with them, and my God, you've got to be a fool if you don't hire a working mother, if you've ever negotiated with a toddler, you know, or done all of the multitasking, like incredible women leaders, my God, you know, as, as, as mothers. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, I mean, I, I mentioned the book, it hasn't even been that long since it became um, non-punishable by law for you to breastfeed in public. That's, I think it was just only 20 years ago where you, in some states in America, you couldn't even breastfeed your child in public. Um, so, it, yeah, the Roe versus Wade news story today, it's sort of, it's a real sucker punch, but also in many ways it's not a surprise, is it? Um, when you look at the lack of um, uh, childcare, um, we look at the gender pay gap and so on, like, um it, it's it, it seems I actually I'm just I'm a bit lost for words actually at least on this this topic is um I mean at least uh, it, unless Biden has some kind of you know executive order and writes it into federal law I I'm sure that is what will end up happening and I know I in the past have advocate you know I advocate for contraception in the developing world is one of the biggest things that we can do to help women get out of poverty. You know, when you have no contraception and you've got women who are having, you know, eight, nine, 10 children, and they, they haven't even got enough food to feed themselves, you know? So they have all these children who are starving and then those child children are sold into slavery or they're married off at 13, you know, because they need the dowry uh, to just, exist you know um and here we are in america <laughs> about to you know and the, the the hardest hit people will be impoverished women uh, who who can't afford you know could barely afford to make ends meet as it is um so it's uh, it, I, it was hillary clinton who said what you know women's rights are humans human rights um and this is a human rights issue yep a hundred percent i mean it's it, it watching it unfold is horrifying and all i can think to do is encourage people to donate to organizations that are you know doing good work and call your representatives and i, I mean i i saw a post today that was like it's it's not banning abortion it's banning safe abortion like wealthy you know well off white women are they're going to they're going to find access to it but as you're saying it's True you know, women who are 
living below the poverty line that are going to be hit the hardest by this. And it's, it's just very, it's very upsetting to see. Um, so I appreciate you. No, no, thank you for asking. I really, because it's weighing very heavy on my, on my heart today as well. So we, um, talking about women's issues and not bringing this up would, would not be right. I, I would just like to say as well, like if you feel you can have conversations with the, uh, you know, dear male allies in your, in your life as well about this topic as well, because I think it's a very awkward topic for our, uh, male allies to discuss, and yet this this is this is affects all of us and this is also a, uh this is a democracy issue as well um mm-hmm. yeah we all need to be caring about yeah. this well speaking of things that we as individuals can do towards the end of your book you describe the 10 keys that each of us can practice as individuals to help unlock the potential of women around us. Could you share a few of your favorites? I, I know what mine were, what my favorites were, but I would love to hear yours. Oh, we want to hear them later. Let me see if we've got a match. Um, no, thank you. And, um, you know, I, um, we're, I just want to, to preface them really with, um, I went back and forth a long time uh, thinking, gosh, am I writing anything new? You know, just, <laughs> will this make a difference? You know, and when I was doing my own um, uh, sort of uh, asking myself lots of questions, like, huh, you know, well, who made, who were the women that made a big difference in my life? What did they do? And I thought that it might be some big introduction, or it was that job. You know, someone said, oh, you know, you should let me make this introduction. They, they need some, they need someone. Um, and I was very lucky and I had lots of things happen, but it wasn't, it wasn't these big things that women did around me. It was always in the small, quieter conversations, the one-on-ones I had, the encouragement or the bit of feedback, you know, and so on that, that really they're the things I remember. And when I spoke to more women about, you know, what was something someone did for you? They were all very human stories. It wasn't, oh, they introduced me to Bill Gates. Or, you know, it was, it was really in this deep, um, deeply meaningful, like I was seen, I was witnessed, someone cared, you know, someone was willing to have that, that conversation with me. Um, and so some of my favorite um, keys, which I, I think are, are um, they can be big and small. Um, and I'm going to start with the first one, which is a big one. Uh, and it comes back to what we've been talking about um, earlier, which uh, the key is called actually talk about money. That was my favorite. <laughs> I wasn't really, well, and it's the most important. I, I just, I really, it's um, like, we must be unashamedly talking about money um, because just to, to your point, which you said earlier, the people that have the most money, they get to decide how to build the world, like what problems they're going to solve, like what matters, what's important. And I get wildly excited about what happens when women have more money. Like, what are we going to do with that? How do we invest it? What are we, you know, what are we going to spend it on? And I think it's going to look very different. And we know that actually by 2030, I think we're going to get something like another trillion dollars of wealth in America because the baby boomer generation is kind of, you know, uh, they're passing on and that money will end up in the hands of women. And a lot of these financial organizations, 
know this now and I was sort of scrambling to figure out oh how do we how do we get more women interested in investing their money and um, I'm delighted to say there are other organizations that are also really listening to women about how they want to invest their money and the things they want to uh, you know make sure that their money works for example in education or healthcare or the green revolution um, so there's lots of good things happening needless to say um, but it is it's a tough thing for women to talk about money. Some of some women aren't. They're brilliant, and I wish I was them. But I am. I fall into the camp of, oh, it's awkward. You you're you have shame when you have it. You have shame when you don't have it. You know, little girls are taught really to not talk about it, to save it, and to um, um, you know be careful. Just be careful with it. Don't you don't want to spend it all. And we know we teach our little boys, money's a vehicle. You need to focus on growing it and it will be kind to you. And you do that as early as possible. So um, I hate to say it, but we're still kind of following some of those gender stereotypes. So when I say actually talk about money, I mean, yes, within the other women in your group, but also with our young, younger members of our families, you know, our teenagers. And uh, one of the things we can do as, as men and dads, you know, is teach your daughters about money, teach them, you know, the benefits of it, how to use it, how to make it work for you. Um, so we don't end up with the situation where uh, we're not really sure what to do with it. We're brilliant at saving, brilliant at budgeting. Um, but when we'll tend to put that money in a savings account and then a crazy, I know I'm just the statistic woman here, but um, uh, there's a statistic which says that um, more than 80% of American women over the age of 65 have the potential to retire into poverty. So that's the potential. It doesn't mean they will. But when you think about it, we're earning 81 cents on the dollar uh, if we're a white woman. Um, and then we're not investing the money. We're saving it. Pretty much a zero return on investment. Um, and um uh, we're not able to work as many hours, all these things. And then you get to, uh, you get to 65 and your husband dies or divorces you. And what have you, you know, what have you got? So it is, it's an imperative that we help each other as women to demand what we should be getting paid for the equal, equal pay for equal work. And then to really make sure if we have any extra, that we make that money work for us um, because um, we'll either do great good with it uh, in the world uh, or we'll do great good with it for ourselves. And that will be, that's our independence and that's our, that's what we're deserving of. Yes. Oh, I could just go on and on about this one, Elisa. I'm just looking at you like I better stop. Oh. No, I love it. We could talk about money and intertwining that with the, the female relationship with money all day. I, I loved this chapter and um, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like men are taught to go after the money. And as young girls, we're taught to be careful with it and to save. And we've been, I mean, you shared a lot of other interesting facts about how we've been conditioned since the dawn of capitalism that men take care of the money. And, you know, it wasn't until within, you know, my my mother's lifetime and generation that, you know, women were able to go to the the bank and get their own loan. And I mean, it was just like, when you think about it, it's like, yeah, it actually hasn't been that long that we have been able to be in charge of our own finances. Mm -hmm. 
And I, another reason why I enjoyed this chapter so much was um, over, I would say like ever since I, you know, started my blog and my business within a close circle of friends and female entrepreneurs that I trust, I've been really open with talking about money and like, how much are you charging and like negotiation tips for working with brands and things like that. And over the last maybe like half a year or so, I've become a little bit more, well, a lot more like publicly open about it. So I actually started publishing um, quarterly income reports where I like dive into my business's finances and Mm -hmm. talk about my different revenue streams, how much each one brought in, my different expenses, the overall like net profits, Mm -hmm. lessons learned. And I started doing that because I wanted to encourage more conversation. Like if I can just bear it all and like talk about my business's finances and numbers in black and white, you can totally talk with your work bestie about like what you're negotiating for stock options, what you're asking for, for a raise, like hype each other up. And when I think about like the best decisions that I've made for my business, whether it was investing in a mastermind group, investing in a course to teach me about SEO so that I could create these different revenue streams on my website, how much I charge, different, um, like setting up my business as an S-corp versus an LLC. Everything was because another woman gave me advice on that subject, on those money matters. And so much of it, I didn't I didn't know. I maybe didn't think to look into myself, but because someone else was willing to talk to me about money in, you know, a, a very black and white way and not like be weird about it, it it has changed my business and, you know, allowed me to grow it to where it is. So I feel very, you know, I feel very passionate about like wow. getting other women to 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 speak more about money and to be more comfortable with it. That is amazing. Wow. Oh gosh, I applaud you. Thank you for doing that. Oh, thank, thank you. For you. Being so transparent. No, but this is it. Like, how should you know? How can anybody know if we don't talk about it? And you're absolutely right. When we can do it in our small circles, we don't even do it with our friends. I mean, I could understand it. It can feel like a leap of faith to talk to a work colleague sometimes. You know, it feels like a little strange with trust and things, even if they're a really good friend, it's awkward. But honestly, we don't even talk about it with our families or our, you know, our best friend who works at a completely different state, you know, that we we're like, how much do you earn? Like, who is saying that? Hardly anybody. So, um, but how will we ever get better and get what we deserve if we don't see the data and we don't understand what, uh, what's, what the potential is? Yeah. Um, love what you're doing. Thank you for doing that. Oh. Thank you. And your your chapter also just reading it came at a really great time for me because I I don't know, the last couple of weeks I've been feeling like a little self-conscious about it. Like, oh, I mean, obviously when I when I first started putting these episodes out there with like my financial numbers, I was nervous and, you know, thinking like what are people going to say yeah. and blah blah blah, but Overshare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the response has been really really positive, um which has been exciting to see, but then I don't know, over the last couple of weeks, I've just been kind of feeling like, oh, am I, is it coming across as like too much? Does it come across like I'm bragging? Like are people, you know, the, the public response has been positive, but then like behind closed doors are people like, oh yeah, that Elise, like that, what the fab, she's always bragging about her financial numbers. And then reading your chapter, I was like, you know what? 
some people might say that and that's fine but like I know the the reason behind why I'm doing this and also like do you think that like in bro marketing do you think that like Gary V or like David Meltzer like do you think that they're publishing an Instagram video about making their you know when they made their first million and thinking like oh is am I not being humble enough like no they're not thinking that so like no 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 let's just let that go yeah no and yeah heck like that's the inner critic that is so loud in women right you know it's like we need to continually work to turn that volume down and you know it's information and it you know it's there but um yeah, nine times out of 10, I think it's, you know, it's really hard to, for a woman to be arrogant. It really is. And I know there's some, we all know someone, but really nine times out of 10, um, you, it's fine. And could you please do more? That would be great. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to keep that as a soundbite in my head. It's fine. And could you please do more? Thank you. And do more. Yes, please. Thank you. We need you. <laughs> I saw a a great quote the other day that was like this concept of um, women needing to be humble is just the patriarchy trying to keep us small. And like, that was a really good reminder. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, um, (laughs) there was also that did the rounds years ago, but it was sort of like women, you know, if only women could hold themselves with the stature of a like mediocre white man or something like that. Who knows? A hundred percent. Oh man! Whenever, whenever I'm experiencing imposter syndrome, I'm like, all right, carry yourself with the confidence of a mediocre white man. You've got this. We're well, not to beat up on our men, but yeah, but we're yeah, we got a ways to go, don't we? We do. Yeah. Well, what were some of the other? Oh yeah, uh, obviously Gosh, we both we, have. We, yeah, we clearly have a lot to say about about that we one do. piece of advice. Um, but are there any others of the ten keys that you would like to share and speak a little bit more about? Yeah, the, um, the one, the other one, which I think is really important. Uh, really, imp- I mean, they're all important, but this one is really important. And it, we were just touching on it, of course, again, um, just with the uh, network as well, the younger women and and uh, about money and teaching our younger girls. Um, I I refer to it as send the elevator down. And what I mean by that is if we've reached some position of power and influence, and that doesn't necessarily mean you are the CEO with all of the decision-making powers and so on, but, you know, that you have taken some managerial steps, some project management steps, whatever it is, and that you can see uh, a younger woman coming up in the ranks. It's just, can you send the elevator down and make her way forward easier than it was for you? I mean, I... I would say often you, I can stand on the top of the mountain and I look down and I say, wow, I've I've done a lot with my life and career. I've worked really hard. I've been lucky too. Um, but man, it was hard. Like there have been times where things should not have happened. And um, I just can't bear the thought that our younger girls coming through would have to endure what we've endured. Um, so wherever possible, whether that is ensuring she gets that first rung on the ladder or imparting advice, taking her under your wing. Um, it, it's absolutely critical. Um, I did want to um, talk about this. Lean In and McKinsey do this work, Women in the Workplace study uh, every year. They've done it for the past six years. And they talk about um, what they call the broken rung, which is this: how many women become first-time managers 
Um, and uh, they all, in the study, they also talk about the number of VPs and C levels, and those numbers are increasing, and they're terrible, but they're increasing. <laughs> but this broken rung number, and this was shocking to me, hasn't moved at all in six years, in the, the whole time they've been doing this study for the last six years, it has not moved. So when we're in our organizations and we know we want more women in the boardroom and in the executive suite, but we are forgetting that these, these women who are just starting, if they don't get that first opportunity, they will never catch up. You know, so we will look around in the next 10 years and be like, well, where's the pipeline? You know, where's, <laughs> we talk about pipeline issues. We're just like, well, if we're not starting right at the beginning, we're never going to get to the end. Um, and uh, they say for every 100 uh, men who get their first managerial role, 85 w white women will get that first role. It's 71 for Latina, 58 for black women. So, you know, <laughs> these are uh, these are numbers which will have a, a ripple effect and an impact later on. So we have to focus our attention on our younger women. That's um, uh, for me. That's it. I'm very focused in this in the younger women, younger in their career area. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. With my work at the coaching fellowship, and this is in the social and environmental um, impact space. But um, yeah, please. Uh, uh, go the extra mile to help send the elevator down. I love that one. And that's a great segue because I wanted to ask you a little bit more about um, your organization, the Coaching Fellowship, if you could tell us more about it. And I know that you're in the midst of a fundraiser as well. Oh, thank you. We are. Gosh, we're always fundraising. Um, at least so yeah, we're, we're a pretty small um, 501c nonprofit. Been around for eight years. And uh, I started the organization because... When I had made it into the executive team at Mozilla, I then, when I'd made it, when I'd made it, I then got access to leadership development and coaching. And I was like, wow, wow. Like, I wished I'd had this 25 years ago. Like, amazing. Yeah. Um, and it cracked my world open. I mean, I learned things about myself that I had no idea about. And I was already, you know, in my 40s. I was like, God, what have I been doing? So, um, very much things, you know, all the inside, I call it the inside out game. <clears throat> so, um, you know, what are your reactive tendencies? What are you, uh, what holds you back? Um, what's the story you're telling yourself? Very often things that will get in the way of women's confidence and them claiming what is theirs, whether it's their position, influence, the money that they earn and so on. Um, and I, I, I was just, wow, like more women have to have this. And I do believe the younger you are when you get access to yourself, this will make a massive difference to your career and therefore the world. <laughs> um, and I wanted to ensure that young women have this in the social environmental change space, because not only, you know, does it matter for them as individuals, but the work they're doing, you know, we're relying on them to solve our global grand challenges. Um, and so if they are not increasing their leadership capacity, how on earth can they deepen their impact and make these problems go away forever? 75% of people in the impact space are women, um, of which, you know, the vast majority have to fundraise their own salary. <laughs> um, so um, 
So, yeah, so we now run two very big fellowship programs a year. We serve about 300 women a year. Um, we've been doing this for a while, now ramping up to serve more and more women. Um, 1,500 alumni from 80 countries, and um, they are working in the field in you know rural Rwanda, working with indigenous populations in the Amazon, in the city, community workers in America's cities, you know, just very diverse groups um, all committed to uh, creating a better world that we um, we all want to have so desperately. And and thank you for, I hope it's okay. Thank you for mentioning the, the fundraiser too. And um, uh, yeah, we're, um, uh, we are in a big fundraising drive uh, these next uh, few months and um, any, do- any dollar amount is such a, it makes a huge difference to us and our work. Very small organization, all the money goes directly to the programs that we build for these incredible women. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing. You're doing incredible, incredible work. And uh, it's just, it all, it always makes me feel uplifted speaking with someone like you that's super passionate about such an important topic and like doing, you know, doing the work to help move the needle. Um, as we wrap things up, I would love to ask you kind of a random question, but who is someone Mm -hmm. that is inspiring you right now? Oh, what a great question. And, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I had, I had the most beautiful experience last week. Um, there's a lady, her name is Christy Nelson, Christy with a K, uh, K R I. S-T-I, can't spell Christy, there we go, Christy Nelson. And uh, she's the executive director of an organization called uh, uh, Grateful Living. Uh, it's gratefulness.org is uh, is their website. And um, she came and did a session with our, with our fellows, with our community, and she talked about uh, gratefulness as a, um, uh, almost like a, um, a mindfulness practice. She talked about gratefulness practice, um, and um, and it being different to gratitude. You know, gratitude implies there's a transaction somewhere, like something had to happen for me to have gratitude. And she talks about you could just wake up and be grateful. <laughs> like, wow, I get to wake up today. You know, like I and you know we we kind of giggled with her a little bit, but she was like be amazed like you have hands like wow <laughs> you know like it's wicked I mean it, I mean <laughs> honestly like be amazed at your hands you know the fact that we're on the internet recording a podcast like it's bananas right it's just crazy and um she was so inspiring at least I would I would just really encourage anyone to check out gratefulness.org and Christy Nelson there was this really poignant moment in the session and she said, she was talking about things we take for granted. And uh, she said, just remember everything you take for granted. Someone somewhere out there is praying, is praying for what you are taking for granted. And yeah, that's, um, that's true. So if that's a little reminder to, yeah, be, be thankful for the food in our fridge and the roof on our head over our heads and you know our good health yeah absolutely that's such a great such a great reminder and so so true 
Well, Jane, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I would love to wrap with just one more question. I'd love to hear uh, just a little more about why you decided to write this book. And then if you could let us all know, you know, if people want to connect with you afterwards, where they can find you and where they can find the book. Thank you. Um, Gosh, and thank you again for this fabulous chance to to speak with you, Elise, and uh, for everyone listening. Thank you so much. So, you know, I wrote I wrote the book because I was so um, I, I was I was depressed. I was struggling. It was at, uh, during COVID summer, first summer of COVID, um, not the first summer of love. <laughs> that would that would have been nice, but our first <laughs> summer of COVID, um, and really struggling. I'd almost lost coach fellowship. Uh, we'd lost all of our funding. I almost had to um, um, shut it down. We had less than eight weeks of payroll in the bank. And then all of these statistics were coming out about women's progress, women dropping out of the workforce. World Economic Forum says we lost 36 years of progress alone in 2020. And that doesn't even count from our Roe versus Wade conversation from today. And I was despondent. Uh, and yet I knew because I work with these social change leaders and a lot of them working in women's organizations, what great work is being done. And I wanted to tell the inspirational stories. I wanted to tell people the stories that aren't in the news um, and let them know that this work is happening, even though you can't hear it and you can't see it, it is happening. Um, And then also because, you know, we can feel a bit disenfranchised, like how can I make a change, you know, with the news again today, what am I going to do? You know, how do I, how do I do that? I can call my representative. We should do that. But what else? And I do believe in the the small hundred thousand million actions. This is actually how we get to change. And so as women supporting women, we know how to do this. So we just need to do it more often. I believe that when we do it and we believe that this is an act of activism as well, like that's deeper and it's more meaningful, like we'll do more of it. Um, So, um, yeah, I just, I really wanted to encourage us as women to know that we can make a difference and then please to go out and do it. (laughs) Um, And thank you. Yeah. Connecting with me. I have a website. It's probably the easiest. That's um, janefinette.com. So my, just my whole name, uh, .com. Uh, and then there's jumping off links there to um, to find my book or about the coaching fellowship um, uh, and uh, oh, social media links and things like that. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to be connected with. Um, it's such a delight. Just let me know maybe that you heard our conversation today with Elise. And I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Love it. Well, Jane, thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed our conversation. And like I said, really enjoyed your book as well. And it's just, I'm so happy to connect with you and be able to chat with you today. Thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing as well to helping our sisters rise and thrive. At least you're amazing. Thank you. Oh, thank you. All right. Thanks, Jane. Huge shout out to Jane and the work that she is doing. It is so, so needed. And I appreciate her for taking the time to chat with me. And I I really, like I mentioned in the episode, I love that she breaks things down into tangible, actionable tips, like small actions that we can do every day that lead to real change and benefiting other women when it comes to 
their life, their career, their hashtag revenue generating activities. I think especially last week and hearing, you know, that devastating news, I can end up feeling really overwhelmed and helpless. Like, I don't know what to do. There's nothing that I personally can do about it. You know, I can call my representatives, I can donate, but like, what can I actually do? I don't know. And so having some some steps of like, actual small actions that I can take that can lead to helping other women increase their status, their visibility, their money. That is That makes me feel like I have more power put back into my hands to actually do something. So I hope that you enjoyed this conversation and took something away from it. If you want to check out Jane's book, I'll link to it in the show notes. And if you did find this conversation valuable, I would so appreciate it if you could subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You know the drill. Thank you so much for listening. And with that, we'll be back again next week.